There are no normal families. There's no sort of standard family. We're all different. All families are different. In the Blend is a podcast series that helps parents navigate life within a blended family. Join me as I speak with experts and guests to get practical advice on how to have a harmonious blended family life. This series dives deep into the unique dynamics, logistics and challenges of raising a blended family. From new partners to juggling mixed finances, we will help guide you through it. Hello and welcome to In The Blend. In today's episode, we're very fortunate to have one of the UK's leading experts in step families, Dr. Lisa Dudson, join us for an episode where we'll dive into the well-being of parents in blended families and what it takes to feel happier and more fulfilled with your situation in a blended family. I know, although I wouldn't change a single thing, I have sometimes wondered whether life may have been a little less complicated had I met someone without kids. Instead of comparing yourself to others, though, or wishing for something different, what if there was a way to not only accept and find peace with your situation, but to actually thrive into a truly happy, successful blended family parent? My guest today is here to provide you with plenty of realistic and hands-on ideas to help you do just that. Welcome, Lisa. Thank you so much for joining me on In The Blend podcast. How are you today? Hi, Laura. I'm great, thank you. Really pleased to be here. Wonderful. Well, I am very much looking forward to our chat today. As I just mentioned to you earlier, I have read your book, How to Be a Happy Stepmom, which I found immensely helpful. Lisa, I've got many questions that I want to ask you, but to start off today, in your book, you had a whole chapter on learning how to cope more effectively. And you talk about the importance of focusing on the positives in your relationship rather than wishing for something different for a first family type situation. What are some of the ways that people can focus more on the positives? It's a really interesting question, Laura, and and it's something that I think most people, when they find themselves in a blended family, it's a lot more complex than they thought. When we're struggling to cope, we could become stressed and anxious, and those thoughts sort of pervade our thinking. So we end up focusing on all the negatives, all the difficulties, and we forget why we're there. We forget about all the positives. And I think it's important to breathe, you know, take a step back and actually, you know, think about how much you love your partner and what you do together, what you found the beginning of your relationship that you loved. And don't forget that, you know, while you're trying to build and integrate your family or new family, think about what you enjoy doing together and and don't lose that. So it's about keeping all those things present whilst you're focusing on challenges, all the difficult little nuances of blended families that we all experience at different times. So it's keeping that joy, I suppose, really, rather than being mired down in all the all the sort of the nitty gritty and the difficulties and the bad behavior and the, you know, I'm not your, you know, you're not my mum and all of those things that are so common. We do get over it, but actually it's about keeping positive throughout that. Definitely. I know in my own personal situation, I have at times on reflection been a little bit perfectionistic, I think, in terms of thinking about, you know, what is the ideal family? And that state of comparison can end up just creating a lot of anxiety rather than making you feel very good about yourself and your circumstance. So I think that's really helpful. 
Yeah. You know, I think it's it's worth remembering that there are no normal families anymore. We're not there's no sort of standard family. We're all different. All families are different. And it's just a, a layer of complexity. So blended families are just quite tricky because there's lots of different relationships still current. It's about managing all of that. So it's just difficult and and it's about giving yourselves time and that perfection. You know, we all want to be the best we can be, but it's only when you let yourself, when you sort of relax into who you are, rather than just trying to be this perfect step parent or, or blended family, that you can actually sort of start to enjoy it. I love that. And as blended families learn to live together, how do the different stages of the development that they will go through as a family impact one's ability to cope more effectively? The thing to think about here is that most people that are in a blended family have gone through and are going through grief, whether it's physically losing somebody or there's a breakdown of their relationship. And so, you know, for the adults, it's it's moving on. And for the children, it's accepting that loss of parents living together, maybe, and moving house and finding new friends. And everybody's got different challenges. And I think the thing to remember is that everybody moves on at different rates. And anyone who's gone through any form of grief will know that grief isn't linear. You know, we don't just sort of start getting better and recovering over time. It it hits you in waves. So you might be going through a period where you're, you know, you're really happy and the kids are, for whatever reason, being grumpy or difficult or whatever. And that's okay, you know, but it's it's about trying to understand why, you know, so put yourselves in their shoes and think, well, are they struggling? You know, has, if you're with their dad and their mum perhaps has found a new partner, maybe that's difficult for them. Maybe they've moved to a different school and so they're feeling more vulnerable or anxious. And so I think it's it's just being aware that you're in a process and that process takes time. And whilst you are okay, not everybody is at the same point. So it's just being aware of that and recognising it and using a range of different coping styles that you're comfortable with to allow you to help everyone else gather them all up, you know, and and bring them on that journey together. There's no one size fits all in terms of how you go about (laughs) any of this. That was something that really stood out for me as well in your book, the ability to be able to either answer a quiz or or, um, I I could really identify with the different types of scenarios that you displayed in the book through the various examples. So everyone's got a slightly different situation. Yeah, exactly. And that's what that's what makes it so hard because you can't just sort of say, you know, here's the here's the rule book, you know, if you're a sort of a blended family, there you go, it's easy because we all start it's not like a biological family where, you know, you start with a couple and then you add the children. You sort of are all thrown together and the children are at different ages. You know, you might both have children, you then go on to have children together. There's this whole mix, not to mention ex, you know, ex-partners and and, and, and the, the wider family. So it's complicated. So what are the, some of the, the different coping strategies then that listeners can think about, Lisa? Perhaps the first place to start is to look at what you do in any situation. So if you're at work, what's your sort of, you know, what do you tend to do? Are you someone that relies on friends and you just sort of want to go for a coffee and chat things over? Are you someone that sort of thinks about solutions, you know, and you're much more practical or you know, there's lots of different ways that we all cope with everyday life. And that that's, it's exactly the same thing. And all of those things are absolutely fine. So if you've got a challenge, you know, you might want to write things down, you might want to talk to somebody, 
You might want to just sort of have a little break and go and let your hair down. That's all fine. The difficulty is when what I found in my own research is that I was looking at stepmoms in particular in this research, but stepmoms tend to rely on what we call maladaptive coping much more than biological mums. And that's due to the stress. A maladaptive coping mechanism is, is when it's not actually working. So it's a coping mechanism that doesn't help you cope. And those are the ones where we effectively sort of, it's a bit like an ostrich, you know, you put your head in the sand, can't see, don't want to see, not listening, put your fingers in your ears, you know, la la la, don't want to hear. You're not fixing a problem, you're not addressing it. So it might help you in that moment because you just, you've run out of, you know, the ability to cope, but you need to come back and think, okay, we have got this issue. How am I going to cope? Um, a good example is when I was doing sort of research and, and talking to a lot of families, uh, there was this lovely lady and she, um, they just had a baby together and she had two stepchildren and they used to come and visit regularly. And she got herself into such a pickle because they would come to stay and she got so anxious before they even came that she'd work herself up so that the moment they pressed the door, you know, she heard them coming in with their dad, you know, and they were excited. She would literally throw her coat on, grab the baby, put the baby in the in the pushchair and say, oh, I'm sorry, we're just going out. I'll see you later. And she would run out. And then she'd come back a bit later and find that her family were then all sat having fun without her. And so her coping me mechanism actually was making her feel worse because she'd come back to feel the outsider in her own family. It was only by recognizing that issue and saying, okay, that coping mechanism isn't working. It's getting me out of the situation, but it's not addressing it. So she had to stop and say, right, okay, I'm going to have a different mechanism where I'll come in, I'll welcome them, but I'll know I can go and call my friend later for a chat. And so she had a routine that allowed her to channel that anxiety, if you like, so that she, she could cope in a small way and then move on. And over time, it got better and better and, and, you know, and, and things improved. So it's about not relying. If you find yourself relying on these strategies where you're not fixing the issue, that's when you need to find new ones. And, and there's lots of books, you know, it doesn't have to be my book, but there's lots of different ways you can look at different coping strategies. They're all effective in different ways, but it's about how it works for you. And it takes some self-reflection as well, doesn't it, to yeah. to stop and, and think about how you're behaving and why and how that's making you feel and then what you might do differently. Yeah, ex exactly. And, and it, you know, I know we talk about this, you know, it's a, it's a journey, but it, it really is, you know, it's about just looking back and thinking, well, why did that go wrong? You know, what am I not doing? Or what could I do differently? And what could my partner do differently to help me? You've got to be a team. You know, you're in it together, not on your own. So let's touch on the support of, of course, your partner and, and family and friends as well. How important are those networks in terms of your own well-being as someone in a blended family? And what are some ways people can go about widening that support network if it's become a little bit narrow as well? Just sharing very quickly some of the research in my past that I, I was working on. I was expecting, but I found that step families, people, adults in step families, actually have less social support than biological families. And I thought that was a really strange finding. When you look at some of the reasons behind it, it makes sense. So for example, if you're a single woman and you meet someone with children and suddenly you, you find yourself in a blended family, you're a young stepmom, your friends are perhaps not even mums yet. So suddenly you've got less in common. 
So you sort of tend to find that you then see less of them perhaps because they're going out. You can't because you've got the children to look after. You might even find you move houses to be closer to your partner and the children, the schools. And all of those things mean that you're you're less connected to people that you love and trust and, and have a lot in common with because you're, you're, you have less in common with them now. And even parents step, you know, your, your in-laws, if you like, often they can keep close with the biological mother or the biological father. And it means that you're less connected. You don't feel that they are supporting you in the same way, perhaps. So all of those things mean that you, you can have less support. And we know that social support is so important for our well-being. It bolsters us. It gives us that confidence. And we know that the less support you have, the more stress you have, the greater the potential for depression, anxiety. It really is important to look at who you can lean on for support. And and there's three areas, you know, really it's your partner, your friends and your family, your wider family. If you do a bit of a stock check, you know, and you're looking around thinking, well, I, you know, I've lost a few friends or whatever. I think it's about, okay, well, how can I either reconnect with those friends or Maybe if you've moved into a different area, look at how you could find some, you know, look at joining a club or trying to find people that, that might have similar interests or even are, are in a blended family. You know, there might be some, some groups locally. So reconnect. And if you find that, you know, actually your, your, your own family or your partner's family are not being as, as welcoming as you perhaps were hoping, it's worth talking to them. It's worth your partner talking to them and helping them understand because there are no rule books for step families and we all have to sort of struggle and find our own way. But equally, our friends and family need guidance as well. So we have to help them. So if they're not doing what we want them to do, then perhaps sort of say, you know, could do a bit of, could we have a bit more help, you know, and maybe you can help us with the children or so that we can have a, a date night, you know, that sort of thing. So it's about recognizing it, first of all, and then doing something about it. I identify with what you were saying a moment ago, Lisa. That was my own situation when I met Matt in that I was a single girl prior to that living in inner city Sydney in Surrey Hills. And then you know, when I met Matt, I moved over the other side of town to the northern beaches of yeah. Sydney and, and you know, it's this whole new world and sort of instant family. But I found exactly that, that you know, a lot of the friendship groups that I'd been part of prior were no longer part of my day-to-day from both of a geographical perspective and yeah, and also just because of the stage of life in terms of having that, that instant family. So really interesting to yeah, um, hear you paint that example. You talk about resentment being closely linked with step-parents' well-being. And I really loved how you used something called the social exchange theory in your book to help readers understand the way that resentment can build. Can you explain that to us and and provide an overview of of what you mean by the cost-benefit thinking? Yeah. So the first thing to think about is is resentment. And it's not a feeling that we like, you know, it's as adults, as, as, as individuals, you know, to feel resentful of something. It doesn't feel good, does it? It's not something you want to admit to. But I think it's important to say it because actually it's very common with certainly in my own research and, you know, speaking to clients over the years, it becomes very common for step families because you've lost a lot of what you had. You know, your, your, your life has changed quite a lot. And the resentment can appear because if you're, for example, like we, we talked about, if you're single and then suddenly you've got all these commitments and they're instant commitments, they're not just sort of, they don't just happen over a slow period of time. 
you can resent, you know, the children can arrive and suddenly, oh, we can't do anything this weekend because the children are coming. Oh, I can't go out. I can't meet my friends. I can't do. So you end up focusing on, on all the can'ts rather than the cans. You know, it's like, well, if they weren't here, we could do these things. It builds and it's not, clearly it's not their fault and it's not fair to blame the children, but they become this sort of embodiment of that resentment. And actually, it's about recognising that feeling and where it comes from. Because whilst it's common, it's not great to keep having it. You know, it's about saying, right, I don't like feeling this way. How do I change it? Because the children aren't going to disappear, and nor should they. How do I find a different way of coping? And I think one of the, the, the ways is to look at this exchange theory. So we use social exchange. We don't realize we're using it, but life is all about cost benefits. You know, if you decide to, I don't know, to do some charity work, why do you do it? You know, well, there's a cost, isn't it? There? There's a cost of your time. It might cost you money to travel there. It might miss things that you, you can't go to a party because you're doing this work or whatever it is. There's a cost. So what's the tangible benefit? Well, it's it's less tangible, I suppose, in that example, because it's about feeling good, isn't it? You, you know, it makes your heart feel better. You feel you're doing something to help people, maybe, or watching other people benefit from what you're doing. So it's recognizing those benefits. And we don't generally sort of write them down. We don't go, why am I going to do that? Well, I'll, I'll write down the negatives and the positives, and then I'll decide. We don't do that. In our heads, we're doing it all the time because we make these decisions about everything in life in terms of looking at when you've got this resentment, it might just be about reminding yourself of all the things you've gained. You know, so yes, you, you might have had a difference in friendship groups or, you know, or having to move home or whatever. But presumably you've done it because, you know, you've met this wonderful person and they are your world at the moment and you want to enjoy that. So when you're doing things, for example, if we go back to the children arriving and you're thinking, oh, I can't do this now, think about why you're doing it. You're doing it in the beginning of the relationship, not because what you're going to gain, because quite frankly, if you don't know these little people that well, it's not going to be a wonderful experience. You're not going to sit there genuinely going, great, because you're all getting to know each other. But you should be looking at your partner and thinking, look at his face, look at the joy now when these children walk through the door. They are so happy that, that they're here. Conversely, your partner has to recognize that you doing all the things for the children are actually for him or her and say to you at the end of that weekend or whenever they go home, give you a big hug and say, you are amazing. And it's about that exchange of feelings and knowledge that you are both doing it for each other. And you know it might not come naturally. It might not feel perfect at the beginning. But you've got to support each other. And it's recognizing all those positives that sort of set the scales a little bit. Because in the example of, you know, helping in charity, they're intangible benefits, but it's about what it feels like. And it's, it's, it's recognizing those things in your step family. I love that. Being really comfortable with, with the here and now and the little things, being more mindful of those. Exactly. Something else, Lisa, is this idea of role ambiguity, which you talk about as well in, in some of your work. How can role ambiguity contribute to factors that might detract from your confidence as a step parent in a blended family? Basically, in our life, we 
have multiple roles. We might be a manager at work, we might be a teacher, we might be taking our kids to school. So we we might be homeschooling them, you know, when they're doing their homework, we might be doing the washing, the cleaning, the cooking, you know, we do all these roles. We cope with them really well, generally speaking, you know, where we sort of juggle. And it's only when there's a crossover, there's a there's a clash in roles that we struggle. And a good example of that is being a mum and being a stepmom or being a single person and then suddenly being a stepmom. What does that mean? And how do I cope with that? What, what is that role? And if the role isn't clear, you know, imagine if you're at work and someone gives you a new role and you say, well, what, what does the spec say? What do I have to do for this role? You know, what, what are my expectations? You normally like to know what the boundaries are for that. Whereas you're, you're suddenly handed this step parent role and it's really fuzzy. It's like, well, do you help with, with schoolwork or do you go to parents' evening or do you tell the children off if they're a bit naughty? Uh, do you take them to bed? Do you bath them? You know, there's all of these things. And I can't and shouldn't be sat there going, well, yes, you should or no, you shouldn't. And Laura, no, absolutely. That's not on your list of to-dos because it depends. It depends on so many variables, the age of the children, how long you've been together, whether you're living together, not living together, you know, a whole range. So it's up to you and your partner to decide. And I think the important thing is to work out what you want your role to be. And it's not so much whether that's right or wrong. There certainly is no right or wrong. It's only whether your definition of that agrees with your partner's. Because the closer it is, the the less issues you're likely to have. If your partner thinks, well, I want you to be the replacement dad or the replacement mum, and you just want to be the I'll just step back for a bit. I don't think I'm ready for that. Then it's not going to work. You know, it's going to cause lots of conflicts. So really, my advice is to work out what feels right, you know, what feels appropriate and talk to your partner and make sure they support that so that, you know, that's that's how you interact. And it can change. It doesn't have to be fixed because as the children grow and your confidence grows, it can it can change. That's so helpful thinking about it that way. Rather than thinking there's there's one answer or one one way that it should be in your yeah. role as a blended family parent. Exactly. We've covered a lot of ground here with all, all sorts of different ideas to help us create more well-being in our blended family lives. Are there any final top tips you can provide to help parents in blended families perhaps better cope with their situation, to feel less anxious and overall feel that greater sense of well-being and happiness? Tough ask there, Laura. I've got to do all of that in a few words, but I'll do my best. I think the first thing I would say is that you need to have realistic expectations. Step families, blended families take time. And and I don't mean months, I mean years. And that doesn't mean that, you know, you're not blended and then, you know, five years later you are. It's a very, it's a slow process, but it's about giving it time because like we talked about really early on, there's a lot of grief in loss. So everybody's sort of lost something and it's getting over that loss and everybody getting to the point where they feel comfortable in this new family unit. So it's setting those realistic expectations. You know, don't expect the children to be comfortable with you as the as the step parent really early on. They're, they why would they be? You know, they don't know you. You don't know them. So it's about getting to know each other. I think it's important to talk to your partner about what's going well as well as not not going so well. So it's, as we said again, 
don't focus just on the negative, focus on the positive. So if things are improving, you know, it's about saying, I really enjoyed yesterday afternoon when we went to the park or when we did that activity, went for a bike ride, whatever. It was really good fun. Let's do it again. And recognizing that and and making sure you put, put it in the memory bank. And it is about making memories. If you try too hard, it feels forced. The children will know it feels forced as well. You've got to do things together to make memories that you enjoy. So I know that's difficult if the children are you know, perhaps different ages and how do you find something that everybody's going to enjoy and you're going to enjoy? Make sure there is something, you know, even in a small way, you know, you might go for a, a bike ride together and then go and, and have something to eat and or have a picnic. Just enjoy it. Enjoy the time together because if you're relaxed, you'll be just yourself and they get to know you. If they're enjoying themselves, they'll be relaxed. And and actually, you can have those in your memory bank. And then when things aren't going so well, you can think, well, that's okay. We had a really good time last week. What's gone wrong? What have we done? Or is it just somebody's, you know, tired or, or whatever? So make your memories together. And I would say plan. Plan is really important, particularly in the early days. So if you've got the children coming for a weekend, for example, think about what you're going to do over that weekend don't just sort of leave it open and say, oh, let's see. Because actually, if you're feeling anxious, that's just going to make your anxiety just skyrocket. Have a plan. Think, well, okay, you know, maybe split it into if it's a Saturday, a morning and an afternoon and a Sunday morning, afternoon, and have some time where maybe the children are just with their biological parent and you can have a bit of time out, you know, a couple of hours to go and visit a friend, just go and have a little time reading a book or whatever you enjoy. Because you can recharge your batteries and when they come back, you can feel completely, you know, engaged again and sort of tell me about your afternoon, what you've done with your mum or your dad. And that's a good thing. So split it up, plan, make those memories and don't try and do everything, you know, don't run before you can walk. Just take it slowly. Keep talking to your partner, keep keep talking to friends, even about things not related to the family, but just so that you have other outlets that you feel you can just sort of have fun and be yourself. Things will improve, I promise, over time, but it's just about, it will take time. So many good tips. Thank you so much, Lisa, for that. I could keep firing the questions at you all day today, but we are out of time. Lisa, where can listeners go to connect with you and learn more about your book and and the work that you're putting out into the world via your Happy Steps website? Oh, thanks, Laura. Well, they can go on uh, my website. I mean, I'm based in the UK. The website is happysteps.co.uk. They can join me on Instagram. I, I try and put, particularly ever since lockdown, I've, I've done quite a few videos and different posts on Insta to, so that people can access things as quickly and easily as possible. So that's happysteps underscore Dr. Lisa. Obviously, there's the book. I think you can get that on Amazon or, you know, it's, it's quite freely available. And I think those are the main things. And, and if they want to contact me, the details are on, on the website. But I'm more than happy to to hear from anyone. And I'd love to hear feedback from, from the podcast. Amazing. Thank you so much, Lisa. And we will link to all of that in the show notes. Once again, thanks for your time and hope to have you on the show again soon. Oh, well, good luck with everything, Laura. I hope it all works well. I look forward to hearing all about it. And uh, it's great to to link up with you and, and making the world a bit of a smaller place. I think it's great. 
Thanks for listening to the In The Blend podcast. The show notes for this episode are available at intheblend.com.au. And if you like what you heard, be sure to subscribe and please rate and review in your podcasting app. You can also follow me on Facebook, Instagram and LinkedIn.